slip together here. Here we go. All right, Revelation 3.14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself with the shame of your, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve for you to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, one last time as we've done these seven churches looking at Jesus' self-description and then either a condemnation and a commending for what they've done and then directions and instructions on what needs to happen. Let's talk about this uh, self-description that Jesus gives for uh, himself. What what do you see him uh, saying and what's he trying to highlight about who he is in regards to how we look at uh, this this church there, uh, Charlotte? Yes. Yes. It does seem to have a shade of difference. <laughs> uh, and if you have an NIV, you have ruler uh, over a ruler of God's creation. So some translations have beginning of God's creation. A lot of translations, probably the vast majority, have originator uh, of God's creation, and then. Uh, one translation has ruler, and you know, guess what? The the Greek word can mean all three of those. <laughs> there's there's a reason why all the translations do that is because they know what they're doing. <laughs> so, uh, all three of those are possible uh, uh, meanings and, and under, understanding of that. Uh, all three of them work to, to ultimately the, the the same idea that even with uh, the beginning of of God's creation, you have that as that originator originator idea that uh, from the very start uh, he is over it all, has authority over it, uh, and all of that. But probably originator helps a little bit better. But you might remember that Colossians one does the same thing of calling him firstborn of creation. Well, that's the same idea as beginning of creation. That's that primary place that we've talked about before, Muriel. It does remind us of that, right? That kind of beginning and end, that over it all from start to finish and, and things like that, Evan. It inverses the order, though, because the first thing to come is the amen, mm-hmm. is the end, right. and then works, back, works its way back to the beginning. Yes. Which is interesting, being the last letter here that you have the words of the amen, but then it does go back and talk about the very beginning of those things. So uh, certainly interesting picture. Faithful and true witness. What, what are we doing with, with that? Why uh, the amen, faithful and true witness, and, and how would that work with what we're seeing to the church of Laodicea? Uh, Debbie? Um, Jesus told Pilate, 
Pilate that he came into the world to testify to the truth. Okay. And so testifying witness kind of the same thing. And it sounds like the people in Laodicea aren't doing any of that. Right. And, and and this came up in chapter one, right? With the, the faithful and true witnesses is used. In fact, it means faithful and true. It means what I'm fixing to say is real. <laughs> yes. I'm not making anything up. Yes, I agree. I think that's it. And then you can imagine then uh, with the words of the amen that, you know, that this is this is the, the final word of, of sorts that uh, this is absolute truth and, and it's going to be done as as it's being proclaimed. So interesting that in chapter one, Jesus describes himself as the faithful and true witness. It comes back in here again. And I do think it carries uh, that idea that uh, I have seen what you're doing and I here is my testimony about that. Uh, when we, Wednesday night, when we did Micah, you might remember that you have a picture of God saying, uh, here is my testimony. I'm taking the stand and making my charges against you. That's pretty fitting of what's going to happen here. Do we have really anything positive to say for this, this church? Not really, and unless you want to hope that I know your works is good, because uh, it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like I know your works, and they and they ultimately don't add up. They don't measure up to to uh, what what I'm what I'm looking for. So uh, tell me what he says is is the problem here in this this church, and we got to kind of get underneath some of the descriptions about what he's telling them. They're lethargic. Lethargic. Apathetic. Okay, I think those are some good words for that. Any other ideas for this uh, lukewarm kind of uh, picture here, Julie? <clears throat> I just wrote down that they were very arrogant. Okay. Um, and obviously, they thought they were all these things, and they were blind. They obviously lacked humility. Okay. Um, and then looking at the history of the church, I guess they were extremely prosperous. Yes. Yep. So they actually had some major issues with yeah. just being like what they said. You know, we are prosperous. We are. We need nothing. Not realizing they were completely. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting that all of the churches, to some extent, have some kind of historical touch point. Uh, the high salve is one of them. The lukewarm water is one of them. That uh, apparently they had to get theirs piped in as on those aqueducts and it wasn't hot by the time it got to them. So they would understand that lukewarm concept. All of them have it, have that kind of uh, basic reference, but it, it, the lack of humility is uh, probably an appropriate problem that you're, you're seeing in them, Debbie. They were complacent with their wealth. Uh, complacent's a good word. Yeah. I like that. That, that gets the idea. Dathan. Uh, I, th- I think to, to, to really understand lukewarm, we, we, we have to understand hot, as opposed to cold. So, mm-hmm. so I see art as being those who are spiritually transformed, who, who, who have really surrendered their lives to Jesus, and those who are cold as those who have totally rejected Jesus. The, the gospel really means nothing to them. And so when, when Jesus says he prefers the cold to the lukewarm, um, it, 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 I think... That when you understand what is happening there, then you can, I think it gives give me a better picture of, 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 of what is happening. So, yeah. Because it seems to me like the, it is more difficult to, to 
to reach those who are lukewarm than it is to reach those who are poor. Certainly, uh, the spiritually self-deluded are a challenging, (laughs) a challenging lot. And I think that that's a useful thought, Charlotte. Okay, uh, and that might be part part of the issue of, the, of this kind of indifference and apathy. Uh, I think there are people who are not honest with themselves. Okay. That's where the thing true witness thing comes in. Works in, yeah. Let me give you the, the straight truth of what this looks looks like, Casey. Um, I think they just live for themselves. Okay. They had no impact on God's yeah. faithfulness and good works. Good. Yeah, that's certainly an appropriate picture, Dennis. And in fact, they're just—they're so self-reliant. Okay. Look what I've done. I've done all this. I don't—I don't need anything else. But they're yeah. blind to the fact where they where they actually stand. Good. It's like t- today, most of when do we go to God in prayer? You know, yeah. never think you're bad. Things going good. Right. A lot of self-reliance. This picture, Jan. I, I think more than anything, that they had no heart. Okay. Yeah. That's where our love. Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. There, there seems to be that lack. So putting all those pictures together, because I think the the problem of Laodicea is is certainly a critical one for consideration. That so they aren't what God wants them to be. They are not rich toward God. They are spiritually blind. They are spiritually destitute. Why do they not see that they're blind? Why do they not see that they're spiritually poor? Why do they not see the lack that they have? Because they have all the physical things. It's kind of like the Deuteronomy or, or Job. If you're prospering, God's with you, yeah. so everything's fine. Yeah. If you're being punished and God's against you, you should do something. So Absolutely. They're blinded by the prosperity Good. Their their apathy and lukewarmness comes because they're rich. They say that. (laughs) We are prosperous. We have stuff. We have money. We're doing fine. And guess what that does? It makes you blind to your spiritual reality. You no longer care about spiritual things because you're physically comfortable. That is why Jesus said it was easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because that is true. That prosperity and wealth and comfort and ease absolutely sap all zeal toward God. And it's a huge danger. And there's a reason why this church sits here in this way and probably a reason why most sermons come out of that one is because that's probably our most relevant touch point of the seven churches is that very problem. We are rich. We are prosperous. We do fine. And can lack the very same zeal because of that, Julie. Absolutely. Uh, Dennis? His wife said you know, it's easier for you know, the camel to pay right. the guy than he And it's right. And Isaiah, you remember Isaiah's prophecy, you know, who are the ones who are being set free? 
the oppressed and the poor and the blind, <laughs> because the rest don't see that. So as Jesus' words indicated, as Isaiah's prophecy indicated, as what Paul had to run around telling Christians, you need to be content with the things that you have because uh, wealth and prosperity absolutely do that. I, I have, this is absolutely not in the Bible, but just presupposed and wondered that in the days of the scriptures, the devil's primary attack against Christians has been persecution. And it seems to me that over the last few hundred years, the attack has been prosperity. Uh, let me just lull them to sleep. Rather than attacking, because in the book of Acts, attacking spreads the gospel, let me put them to sleep so that they just don't talk at all. They're just comfortable. They just lay on their couches and just relax, and nobody has a zeal anymore. I truly wonder if that's not the idea of what Satan's new attempt is. Was, well, hey, let them just be comfortable. Let them just, you know, just, just have what they want, and they will absolutely go to sleep on God. And that was happening here uh, with this church, which is, which is particularly fascinating considering the other cities that we have read about who seem to be in some different conditions, that these seem to be very well off and comfortable. You know, that you don't have in, like the other ones, well, I know your tribulation and I know what you're going through and I know you've been in prison. And that might indicate because of the, the spiritual apathy. They aren't receiving any resistance because they're not doing anything. It would be hard to think that since they're all in the same general region that, well, nobody cared about the Christians in Laodicea, except they're not putting their foot forward. And, and that might be why you don't see uh, a resistance that's being proclaimed uh, with them. So verse, verse 17, I think, is such a strong thought process to say, uh, I need nothing. I have prospered. I, I am rich. And that's okay on a level of, look at all that we have before God. I don't need anything more. I am content with what I have. But the concern is they don't see the spiritual problem because they're just happy with what they have in this world. And that was Jesus' concern, as Dennis brought up. It's, 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 it's Jesus' big concern is you're just going to be so set in this life, you're not going to care about the life to come. You're going to spend your focus in this world. You're not going to care about the world to come. Muriel? And it requires an awful lot of effort and intensity to maintain that, doesn't it? Uh, I think that is truly the challenge for every 21st century American Christian is because this is easy for us to fall into. Very, 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 very easy to just go home and be comfortable uh, and not care about the mission and not care about our own spiritual souls and give it the proper thing uh, and attention that, that it needs. Um, what, do, what, do they, what, do these, uh, what do these Christians need? What, what's, explain these, these, these pictures of sorts, but maybe more importantly, how Jesus is portraying it than each one particularly. Charlotte? Okay, that'd be the means. I would, I would think that would certainly certainly be the means uh, to get to this uh, 
spiritual richness and clothing uh, and and sight. Um, Dathan? It was very interesting in terms of the the history of the Odyssey. It was very famous for its its finance, its textile industry, and and, um, the production of this ISA. It seems as if Jesus attacks each of those physical things that, that, that they had. And technically, yep. he, was, he was saying that they needed spiritual wealth because you know, there was a lot of physical wealth. But they, right. they lacked spiritual right. wealth. And that, that, I thought, was reflected in terms of the, 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 the reference to gold refined by fire, which Peter refers to as, right. as faith. Yes. And, and then, of course, the, the clothes, the, the, you know, the textile industry, they, they needed spiritual clothes as well as spiritual eyesight. Right. So it, it, it seemed, seemed to me that there was a lot of more material fit, um, things. And, yeah. and, and Jesus was pointing to the spiritual thing which were right. to enhance their, uh, or actually give them a relationship yeah. with it because I get the sense that because of this, there was actually no relationship at all because they were, they were new. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's quite a picture because these are um, renowned things that the city had. And to use that and go, yeah, you have all those things. So what? (laughs) You don't have what you you ultimately need, Janet. The first thing you need to do is realize that. Good. That's what he brings out. You're not realizing. That's right. right Yeah. You don't know who you are and where are you going to get this this wealth, spiritual wealth that you really need? You're going to get it in yourself? You're going to need God. This, I think he's really trying to tear down the self-sufficiency. We need nothing. I've got this. I'm independent. I'm fine. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I don't need anyone. I'm, I'm good. And I'm going to take care of all this. And he goes, you don't understand. Uh, the only way you're going to get what you need is you're going to have to depend on me. You're going to have to seek it from me. Uh, to think that you're going to be your spiritual island, you don't even understand that that's not possible. Uh, again, that kind of independent thinking, that, that self-sufficient thinking is pretty clear because not only do they not see it, but he's saying, you've got to come to me and get it. You know, you notice he doesn't just say, well, you know, you need to read your Bibles more and you just need to pray more and stuff. You'll notice it's, it's about you need to have a relationship with me that you don't possess. You think you do, because obviously they're Christians. They're going to church. They're part of the Laodicean church. They're not outsiders. They think that they're spiritually doing great. And they have no idea that they are not even close to doing well. And he has absolutely nothing good to say to them uh, because of this. So the idea of you really need to be pressing in toward Christ, which is what he's going to say later on in the letter here, Evan. I'm reminded when James talks about when you're not a doer of the word, but a hearer only, yep. you're like someone who sees your face in a mirror and you walk away and you never, you don't really take in what you look like. Right. And that's what, that's what they're, they're, it seemed to me. They yep. are people who are, they might be hearing, they're not doing, yep. and so it's never, they, they, be, they come blind to it. Absolutely. Like Jesus ran around saying, you see, you think you see, but you don't see. You're, 
think you're hearing, but you're not hearing. It's not changing you, uh, like James is, is, is pointing out, Dennis. And, and the mindset, especially then, it's, it's even in effect today. Whenever things are good, doing good, you're doing great, but it's, it's got to be because I'm doing right. Yeah. I'm doing, I'm being blessed by God sure. for all this. Yeah. Whereas back then, especially, you know, so it was going bad, but you had to send somewhere to make bad things happen. Absolutely, absolutely. Mike? Uh, it's basically just telling you that redefining the treasure means uh, have that shift you know, happen in your life. But I think going about prosperity, it's not always about comfort and wealth. When you have that, that means you also get caught up in how much is going out and how much is coming in. And you got to pay that, and you're losing out to that, and you got to take advantage of this because of this return. So you know, the, the tying up of knots and anxiety that comes with managing wealth. Uh, it's a, it's a dual-edged sword. Yes. That's right. It, it is that dual-edged There's a reason why Jesus said, you're either storing up treasures on earth or you're storing up treasures in heaven. You can't do both. It doesn't work. You can't have the two masters. It's, it's not going to fly. Oh, how we try so hard, though. We really think that he's wrong about that, and we're going to show him differently. And he, he's telling them, going, no, you've got it wrong. I know you think you're trying here, but, but it's not working. It's, not, it's, it's ultimately not happening. So uh, I hope you get a sense of that, that picture of you need only what I can give. It's very Isaiah 55. Why are you laboring for the food that perishes? Come to me. I'm going to give you what you ultimately need. Or like Jesus in John 4, if you knew who you were talking to, I'd give you the water that you really need and you'd stop messing around with the well water that you're, you're talking to me about. I'm the only one who can give you what you need. But if you don't see that, you're not going to seek it from him. And sometimes we think, oh, like, like Evan said, oh, I see it, but we're really still not seeking it from him. We go, okay, yeah, I see that I need that. Now back to all of my things that I have in this world, in this life, Charlotte. Yep. Um, why do you think you use the word by rather than give or request? I think it refers like to Isaiah 55 because he's trying to help us understand there is a transaction that's happening. There is an effort that comes in on our part. You have to want to get it. You don't buy something and it just, you, it, it, you can't get something and, you know, you see what the idea of buy does is you have to have effort at that. You have to try. It doesn't fall on you. <laughs> I need you to do something to get what I'm trying to, to give to you. So I think that's the idea of trying to use the bind. Of course, the great thing about it is, like Isaiah 55, what I'm offering to you actually doesn't cost anything. But you have to still go to the store, pick it up, go to the counter, and be surprised that it's free. You're going to have to do the work to get the, get the thing. And I, I think that's it. Valerie? Yeah, Good. That's a good way to put it, right? Yeah, it's got to be something that matters to you. And that, that's what Isaiah 55 and those first three verses are doing. Julie? And by also because maybe they were wealthy and where they're from, maybe yeah. Yes. Realize, realize this and do something about it. 
Yes, yeah, verse verse nineteen is a loaded sentence. There, um, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. But not in our world. <laughs> if you loved me, you wouldn't say anything. You'd keep your mouth shut, and you wouldn't tell me I'm doing anything wrong. God goes, I don't work like that. Those who I love, I'm going to say something. I'm going to reprove and I'm going to discipline. I mean, that's what the scriptures are saying about parenting. If you love your kids, you do something. You correct, you discipline, you reprove, you instruct. You don't go, well, I love them, so I just let them play on a freeway. You know, I mean, that, that they're, they're, you know, hate to tell them no. Uh, hate, hate, hate to say no when they run around the parking lot and, you know, get themselves run over by cars. You know, I love them. Uh, that's the whole point is... Love doesn't want to see somebody's disaster, so I'm going to say something. There's going to be discipline. I'm going to do that for you. And so this is the discipline. Be zealous and repent. You know, talk about ringing the bell. Wake up. You're in spiritual coasting, like I talked about when we were in the church of Sardis, who had the reputation that they were alive, but they're dead. Same idea here. You're just sliding along in lukewarm land. You know, there's no fire to you whatsoever. Uh, and so uh, quite a statement uh, that is made there about uh, I love, and therefore that's why I'm saying these things to you is to, uh, to, to ultimately wake you up, Janet. Yeah. That's right. The, the hard things, the fire, the, the difficulty. Yeah, all of that is is part of that refining that that's that's needed. Tell me about verse twenty now, because and how this works with what he just told them about this this door idea. So let's let's kind of put this in relationship terms because. Interesting picture of how Jesus portrays this. Uh, do, Debbie? Well, there again, we have to make an effort. He's there. He's okay. waiting for us. He's, he's knocking at the door. Okay. But we have to actually get up and go open the door. All right. So, yeah, there's a lot of play on that same idea of, of effort that you need to do something. Let, let's start with the present spiritual reality. Is Jesus picturing himself as with them? No. He's outside. You notice he doesn't say, I'm right here. He's depicting you're not in a good place, which makes sense. He had nothing good to say. There's no, well, there's a few of you who haven't. There's no, I know the good works, but it's just a flatline problem. And so he's giving that picture that I'm not in that relationship with you that you think you have. And you're going to have to do something to change that. And that's the idea of I'm, I'm, I'm right here at the door. I want the relationship. But do you? And so again, that effort comes back in. Are you going to open the door and let him in? Are you going to allow a relationship to exist? Or is he just going to keep standing uh, on the outside, we even have invitation songs like that. You're going to just 
leave him hanging out there or are you going to do something on your part? He's done everything on his end. The question is, do you want the relationship with him? I'm right here if you'll just get up and open the door, but you've got to want me. And unfortunately, most people don't. Jim. Yeah, I, I'm that way. You know, that's, that's I'm the, the only way you're going to access God, Charlotte. Yes. Absolutely. When you notice the rest of verse twenty, uh, it really de- defines that intimate relationship. You know, uh, there's a lot of times where that comes up in the life of Jesus that really troubles people in the scriptures. Jesus is going and eating with tax collectors and sinners. What's he doing? Relationship. You eat with people that you have intimate relationship with. If you'll allow me to come into your life, we can have a deep, long-lasting relationship. That's why they were so stunned with Zacchaeus. You're going to go to his house? He's a tax collector. You've got to be kidding me that you're going to have a relationship with him of all people. And he's saying, I want that relationship with you. I want that depth. I want that kind of thing with you. But you have to let me have that with you. And, of course, many parables Jesus told that are banquet, feasting kind of parables as well, kicking in on that, Dennis. And that's when you truly see. We bring him in. He has it in Luke, like in Luke 24. That's when they, their eyes yep. are open. He sat with them. Absolutely, absolutely. So I hope you get a a picture that it appears that their physical self-sufficiency and wealth has kicked Christ out. And he's saying, I'll I'll be happy to come back in if you would see your problem, be zealous and repent. But your... Your concern for the physical, there's not room for me. And that's the way God always pictures it. There's either room for him or room for stuff. <laughs> it's not room for both. Your heart is, cannot be divided with him. He does not allow himself to be the, the, the jilted lover, just, okay, I'll be here whenever you got, you've got time for me. It, it, it's always described as a marriage relationship. It's all or nothing. <laughs> so he's trying to portray that here. As it, whoever will hear my voice, anyone who will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into that person. I will eat with that person. He will eat, eat with me. Uh, there is a, a, a great picture of relationship that is available if we want it. It's one of the things I'm always trying to communicate about our spiritual problems is that the problem is never on God's end. It's on our end. We're the ones that are causing the fracture. We're the ones that are causing the problem. We're the reason why there's a difficulty. We're the reason why we lack faith. We're the reason why that there's any kind of gap. It's not him. He's saying, I'll I'll hang out with you all day long if you'll let me. Problem is, you won't let me. Julie? Yes. And then once I hear, I have to do something. 
I think so. And I think and that goes back to the question of uh, why the idea of buying is trying to really put on the will you give up? Will you do? Will you act? What does this mean to you? How, how much is your soul worth to you? Uh, I always love using the, those kinds of pictures. When you think about how we value God versus the things of this world, it's it's amazing to me the things that we can thoughtlessly spend money on. But if you put it in terms of God, we would go, oh, well, that's a lot, you know, you know, like you could depending on the size of your coffee, you can buy like three a week for twenty dollars, right? But if you say twenty dollars for for something about the kingdom or a Bible or helping, oh, twenty bucks. <laughs> it's interesting that the visuals to physical things we can be like oh yeah turn that about buying for spiritual wealth and we can go clamp down and go oh you know yeah I don't know that's <laughs> tough Nathan the, the Isaiah passage is, is really come to me and you can actually buy without money yeah Absolutely. It's why Jesus told parables like here's a person who, um, well, he finds a treasure in a field. And in his joy, he is willing to sell all that he has to be able to buy the field. Where's the line in which you go, oh, no, you know, that's that's too much. I'll give up anything for what the offer is. And when you see the offer of verse 20, if that doesn't move the heart, be concerned. Because the offer is, I want to spend my life with you. And we look at that and go, eh. <laughs> be concerned. Because that idea would be like, I'll give up anything. I'll trade it in. Read it. Good. Absolutely. And I think that is absolutely the picture of will you give him your heart? Will you give him your time? Will you give him your effort? Will you give him the treasures of your heart? Will you give him everything that matters to you? What, what, again, what's he worth to you? Because he's standing right there saying, I want to have that with you. He's not far from you. But you might be far from him. You might, you might not be interested in, in that relationship. So I, I think the visual is, is stunning that he's pictured as, I'm outside right now. I'm not with you like you think. Evan. I'm struck by how much this does sound like Jesus is preaching during his own time. Mm-hmm. And in that way, these people are like the Pharisees and Sadducees and others that he's preaching to in his own life. The only difference is that they, instead of being Jews, they're now Christians. Right. But they're in the same problem. Right. That they're not recognizing who he is. That's why he has to go back to that first part. I'm the very faithful and true testimony. Right. Same things he said during his preaching. Right. Same sort of message. Because within a generation or two, these Christians have become ossified. Right. Become just like Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly right. In fact, you might remember at the, at the beginning of the study, you know, one of the things about the dating of the book was, oh, you can't have a church be this, you know, dull so fast. <laughs> I, you don't need a lot of time to get there. You don't, you don't need decades to get there. You, get there in 10 minutes. <laughs> it's not hard to have a completely spiritually lethargic church. And Evan's right. Jesus was running around challenging religious leaders because that's their problem. That They think they're fine and they're not fine. They think they're in, but they're not in. They think they see, but they don't see. And he's having to do all of these things as he teaches to try to get them to wake up, be zealous, repent, do something uh, before it's too late. Uh, tell me about verse 21 as, as well, because this is also part of his offer to the one who overcomes or the one who conquers. Some, some neat picturing there, Charlotte. Well, I was thinking, looking at overcome or conquering, that sounds like No. I mean, that's, I don't know what else to do with verse 21 except uh, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Uh, <laughs> I, I will be happy with a broken stool in the corner. <laughs> and you're saying, sit with me on the throne. Wow. And you might remember an earlier church we saw that same thing of of ruling with him here's that same idea coming in again that that psalm 2 was applied to us about ruling with a rod of iron and breaking in pieces and having authority and uh, as i said of that one i'll say it here i have no idea what that's going to look like (laughs) i have no way to put my physical brain around the idea of being with christ and reigning with him I don't have a, I don't have a space in my head that makes that work. <laughs> but whatever that looks like, that's stunning, uh, Janet. I feel the same way about verse twenty-one, and I, I had a question about yeah. did that mean co-ruling? Yeah, him? yeah. We will reign with him. And is that <laughs> would you use the beginning of God's creation as ruler also? Yep. Yep. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Miriam? When Jesus rose, he rose to sit with God on his throne. Yep. I mean, we're talking about a pretty, pretty big throne. Yeah. Well, isn't that the deal, deal is, you know, we get the picture of the Father creates and reigns and rules and Jesus ascends and you know, if we use the Daniel 7, which was from Revelation 1, so Jesus ascends and he is given all authority, rule, and power, and dominion, and rules over heaven and earth and all things, and takes his rightful place on the throne. And then here is this picture that says, and at the end of it all, he's going to get up off the throne and let you sit there too and do the same thing. <laughs> I just go, what? Uh, okay. I don't know. What or how? <laughs> but I believe it. Okay, Mike. It's just like you said, it's just when I didn't have said it, it was a blasphemous statement and concept. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's crazy. 
Absolutely. It's like when the writer of Hebrews says, hey, he's not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. You can't say that. <laughs> I'm down here and he's up there. Don't say that. And he's going, no, 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 it's good. Just We're all together in this. Oh, it's just staggering. Dathan? The writer says that we would judge angels. Yes. And says that we are seated with him. Yes. And you know, we, are, we are here yeah. and so on. It, it often seems... Oh, I know. It, yeah, it is unbelievable, right? It's, it's all over the scriptures. Yeah. It is all over the scriptures. So Paul, Paul to into the Corinthians. Don't, why are you suing each other and can't figure out your lawsuits? Don't you know you're going to judge angels? No, I did not know that. <laughs> I did not know that at all. What do you mean? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand, but okay. <laughs> Dennis. Well, in Matthew 19, Jesus tells him that in the renewal of all things that I'm on my throne, yeah. you'll be sitting on 12 thrones. That's right. He tells, tells the disciples that. It's, it is all over the place. <laughs> Julie? Well, and when you think about that, um, then it makes sense you would have to work for that. Right. It, 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 we're right. not, like, you know, people say you're not, it's not going to be a by accident that we yeah. have to have Yeah. And if something that profound and really unbelievable is possible, then we have to know that we have to work for it. Yes. Because we're not just going to be given that, and it is the greatest privilege that we can't understand. Right. And so, number one, we have to know that we have to work for it. But number two, Okay, hey, I, that sounds like me. That's like how I roll too. Like, there's a reason I have to write out everything in my notes, otherwise it's gone. And like, every time I look at my sermons, like, well, that's brand new. I never don't even remember that. <laughs> totally understand. I think it's because we only have just a couple minutes left. But but think about what a ridiculous situation we're sitting in, where God is trying to say, I am literally offering you the world. And we go, yeah, but I want my stuff right here. I've got a car and a house and a computer. Who, 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 who wants to rule the world? That's really a dumb trade. <laughs> but that's what we do. Oh, I'm rich. I'm comfortable. I have my stuff. I have a couch and a television. And Jesus is like, do you understand what I'm about to give you? Do you understand what's at your fingertips? Do you understand it's right there? Do you understand I'm knocking at the door trying to give it to you and you refuse to get up and let me give it to you? Don't let prosperity absolutely nullify your brain <laughs> to forget what we're being offered, what, what we're being given. Valerie? You're absolutely right. It's about the Exactly. Just don't forget what we have, right, Nathan? Look in these three chapters, for example, where the eating from the tree of life, he will give us the crown of life, protection from the second death, authority to ruminations, the morning star, white garments symbolizing purity and holiness, the honor of having Christ confessed our names before God the Father and the holy angels and everything. To be made a pillar in God's temple and to have our names written on them 
and, and so on and so forth. Yes. It, it, there, there, there are multiple promises to, in yep. these three chapters. Yep. Yeah, these two chapters, yep. chapter two and chapter three, which is promised to That's right. those who overcome in the church. <coughs> That's right. There, that blows my mind to to even yeah. else seem right. insurmountable, unachievable. But yes. you know, yeah. God yeah, says He's God is a faithful witness. Yes. Yeah. So we we know it's true. Yes. We know it's it true. going to happen. Yeah. But what a terrible offer God is giving us. I mean, it's just you know. How could we possibly be bothered with the Lord? Because, I mean, goodness, he's just not offering us a whole lot, is he? <laughs> you read what he's saying, I'm going to give you. You're like, really? <laughs> it's, we can't even comprehend the, the whole idea. Yeah. Clayton, then we'll have to stop. <laughs> uh, it's just, you know, if you need a reason to be out that It should be one. That's it. It's, it's amazing how perfect and loving the God that we serve is. I agree. Uh, and God's saying, I, I'm, I'm going to blow your mind about what you're going to get. And, and that's why the Apostle Paul just simply said, your, your, your present sufferings can't even begin to compare to the weight of glory that's to be revealed. You can't even get your mind around what's coming. So hold fast and don't give up. All right, 14-minute break. Reconvene at 10.30 for our next hour. Thanks, everybody. Chapter 4 next week. You're out of the easy stuff now. (laughs) Chapter 4.